Welcome to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. Today's topic is the importance of data in the NHS. Here at Evolution Recruitment NHS, we are committed to helping individuals and NHS organisations realise their potential. Our goal is to build trust and develop deep relationships with individuals to make doing business easier. We collaborate with NHS organisations to help them build high-performing digital teams We achieve this by curating and sharing insights into the ever-evolving NHS and digital industries best practices. I'm Matt, I lead Evolution's efforts in the Southwest, and I am your host today. The views shared by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of their organisations. Today, I'm joined by Julia Farmer, Business Information Development and Data Architect Lead at Dorset Healthcare, and Simon Mortimer, Assistant Director for Business Information at South Central Ambulance Service. Before we delve deeper into the topic at hand, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Julia, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, and hi, I'm Julia. I work at Dorset Healthcare. I've been here for five years and I need our business intelligence development team. Um, we uh, uh, started with the need to create a data warehouse, bringing all our clinical um, workforce financial data from scratch, and we are four to five years underway in there. Amazing, thank you. And Simon, can you introduce yourself? Um, yeah, my name's Simon Waterworth. I'm the Assistant Director of BI at um, South Central Ambulance Service. I've been with SCAS about seven and a half years now. My team kind of our role is to help people make decisions to deliver our services. We do we're one of ten mainland ambulance services in England. So about nine 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 one 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 of patient transport. Two facts always do. We do two point eight patient contacts a year, two point eight million patient contacts a year, and uh, peak time we take a nine 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 call every twenty eight seconds. So that's the interesting stuff, and we do a lot of dashboards and data analysis and that sort of stuff as well. Amazing, amazing. Now the introductions are done. Let's move on to the topic in focus. So you both have a question or statement on the importance of data in the NHS. As usual, I'll work around the room asking each of you to pose your questions and the reason behind it, and then both of you will have the opportunity to give your take. You both have two questions today, so I'm going to start with one of your questions first, Julia, if that's all right. And that question is, how can we improve data literacy within the NHS in order to make the best use of the data intelligence we have? Firstly, what's the context behind your question, Julia? Thank you. Uh, So, as I said, we started from scratch uh, with our data warehouse, and there was a big culture change in that within our organisation from that hindsight Excel-based reporting of just reporting numbers to actually being able to make decisions from data and as we all know business intelligence has come a long way in not that many years is working with our clinicians um, and with our strategic leads is how do we improve data literacy now we're able to give them a lot more insight into that data so we know it's a big asset within an organization how do we go forward and make the best of that asset Uh, So we've done a few things, and I'm interested to understand how other organisations approach this. So we produce dashboards, essentially. We try to tell stories within those dashboards, and we try to show where there are insights. So we say this is a state of affairs, this is why we think they are, and this is the trend based on any change or um, implementation of of service design delivery or performance increase over that time. we then want to um, allow our clinicians to understand those dashboards to then see further um, self-improvement that they could make uh, to improve outcomes for patients. So we're doing things like working very closely with our clinicians in the first instance, um, making sure we understand and they understand the art of the possible and we understand the requirements. 
Um, we do things such as uh, create videos for each of the dashboards that um, we are looking to implement where we um, go through them in a use case scenario to go through a work discussion and record that as part of the training that other people then can then access. We're planning on things like drop-ins and workshops so people can come in and see what is available to them and how to use it. Um, we've also got um, a champions group so key people can understand more about our um, tool that we use and maybe evangelise within their departments. Um, and then we try and make sure we're included in service design as early as possible as well so that clinicians and strategic management can understand the key data points that we're interested in for things like national submissions and for the insights that we're looking into to make sure they understand the importance of and quality needed in the data that we capture. So it's what we're kind of doing in Dorset Healthcare. It's a long process, but I'm just interested in see if anybody else has any other further ideas that we might be able to implement. Brilliant. Thanks a lot. So just to reiterate, Simon, how can we improve data literacy within the NHS in order to make the best use of data intelligence we have given the context that Julie's just provided on that? It's, it's very interesting. I think we know that data literacy has become a big topic over the last 18 months, two years. If the technology becomes more, if you like, commoditized, it's that thing. But we need data literacy. Interesting enough, we don't call it data literacy. We call it information literacy. And we separate data in general from the use of the information there because in scans we can be projecting this um you know the value is we help you make a decision therefore what decisions do you need to make now bi is very much about supervision management and leadership you know our mission statement is we enable supervisors and leaders and managers to, to make decisions that deliver our services effectively so we had to go through a i had a board strategy was approved which kind of went through that it was a bit of a shock to the board now you do dashboards and then we don't hit help you make a decision. One of the ways we do that is give you dashboards. So we started to separate data to information, explaining the difference between data and information. You know, information how you contextualize the data to the decision you're making. Um, we then started doing various things. We actually developed an information literacy course. We've done it with Click, who are our, our BI providers, um, which is going down really well. We've got about 100 people who've gone through it now. It's all online, the digital groups. We've got it. We're starting to get the whole concept. Um, in building our, we have an essential skills for people managers course, which is every manager person. So we're going to start embedding some of it into that. The key thing was though is getting understand its unique business skills. It's not about how you structure a database, which is what we call the data literacy and the dates. It's about I will give you a classic example with the BI team. We have call takers. So they have about two point eight million calls a year for the free services. We've got a request that so I want a list every day for everybody in my team, every single call they take and what their talk time was, but I said, and I said, you're not having that. All you need is a scatter plot. We'll give you a scatter plot, which along the bottom has the number of calls you've handled and average talk time. And what you need to be focused on is the people in the top right-hand corner, because they're taking a lot of calls and taking a long time to process them, and the top left-hand corner, because they're taking a lot of calls and being very fast, so there may be a quality issue. So part of the BI team's role is to teach that information literacy. But I think the important thing is, it's not about just the dashboard, it's about what decision are you making. And you have to have some challenging conversations that maybe some of your management team and leadership teams don't have those management skills. And I think so it's a very important thing about you know, just producing all that dashboard help or being, you know, well, I mean, dashboards you've got, well, great, anybody using them. So I think, and I, I think in June, we've managed to do the same thing. Any big project that has a BI rep on it, any project which is significant has a BI person on it. I think sometimes they like a survive shock and they're digital. 
<laughs> but you know, part of that is they recognise you built that credibility, built the news, you built the support, and they trust us. It actually these are a good bunch of people to have. They sort of sit between digital and the business. I think it, it you increase it by a this is here to make your decisions. What decisions do you need to make to do your job? How do we help you do that through the I mean, we do a lot of analytics, but also giving them this fundamentally business school, teaching them to manage and supervisors. Yeah, I think there's there's something certainly about that being involved. Um, you know, when we start workshops initially around BR requirements, mm. one of the key questions I ask um, politely, obviously, yeah. is so what? So what if yeah. I give you this information? What, what yeah. are you going to do with it? Is it interesting? Is it useful? Which I have coined from a course that I was at a, 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 a little while ago. Um, but make you know enabling them to understand that as part of the requirements we need to understand what they're going to do with that information and how they can use it to make decisions probably then helps them when they've actually got something in front of them that they know what this is for because they've gone through that journey with you um understanding those requirements it can sometimes be a difficult discussion with some of our colleagues in their perception of what a manager's job is um and I position it by saying the world is changing, therefore getting ready for the future. Um, I've worked, I've worked across airline software, I've worked in industries and management is management is management. And it's only the last 15% of the industry you work in, which is different. Um, you know, it's about demand, it's about quality, it's about resourcing, it's about motivation, it's about building relationships. And some of those conversations can be quite difficult about actually managing. Are you actually a good manager? Do you have skills? I think we recognise that by our courses we're trying to run over, we bring good together. You remember very shortly, ethos in the scouts that I'm a senior manager first. We had to start working BI. My primary role is to be a senior manager. So, you know, I go out to stations on the call last night. So you're a senior manager first and a functional person second. But I think it's all wrapped up in, it can be a very challenging conversation with some of your colleagues. And that's not an HS thing. I've worked in the private sector. I've worked outside the UK. That's a BI situation. It's all shapes and sizes of organisations. In mythology, it's an HS issue. It's not. That's why data literature is such a hot topic now. Brilliant. Thank you very much for that. And so moving on to the next question, this one comes from Simon and it is, how do we get organizations to use non-clinical data to help deliver better services? So Simon, can you just expand on that question a little bit? Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting question because um, obviously people ask you what you do. And um, I mean, when you say you work in BI, you see their eyes kind of glaze over and go, is that computers? And you go, I don't know, you start talking about data analytics and what, you know, what the, the guys go in. So, so what we do is we basically help make the things we do statistics and stuff like that. And they immediately assume you spend 99% of your time using clinical data. And I say, if we look at the data I actually use to help people make decisions, only 10% of it is clinical data. The rest is very, very bog standard financial process optimization, HR data. And I think this is, yeah, this is quite interesting. I think this is a cultural behavioral challenge I think the NHS has is they've got to move away. It's sort of perversing to say be a, stop being obsessed with clinical processes and start looking at automation, resource management, understanding demand. I'm doing a lot of work with population health management groups. You've got two, got one in North Bay, second one in Portsmouth. And for the first time, I'm seeing them looking at demand-based planning, not process-based planning. They're actually saying, what are the clinical needs in our community? How should we shape ourselves to deliver it? So I guess it actually sort of linked in with the, the management for and how do we start getting people to look at managing resources, being efficient, making sure you're delivering services rather than the clinical aspects of it. And I think part of it is having come from other industry, you're either a clinician or a healthcare administrator. And that's around the world. You're not a healthcare manager. You're a healthcare leader. 
you're an administrator. And I think there is a bit of a cultural issue around there. You look at the healthcare, which is mostly the biggest industry in the world, if you think about it. Where do you go? Where's the Harvard of healthcare? Where's the Oxford of healthcare management? Where's the you know MIT of healthcare? Where's the Cranfield? Even if you're the hospitality, there's Westminster, which is the global leader. And I think it's how as an organisation do we say, actually, the clinical data is, is an important element, it's a quality element. But is a whole load of resource optimization, task management, TQM type things you should be using your data for data integration with digital. You know, the public are always amazed that we don't send the data to everybody. We're petrified about sending the data to everybody. We're actually public it you know, because we don't. That's what they do with that data. They they assume we're doing it. So it's how do we start getting that BI? I think it's sort of linked to those business skills things again. People don't realize they need to do that. So that's where the questions sort of come hard and start being able to engage with that process and start saying actually there's more than just clinical data to deliver an efficient service brilliant and so just to reiterate that question again for you julia how do we get organizations to use non-clinical data to help deliver better services yeah we're very fortunate i think in dorset where and i think we're a little way ahead um in, in the in the journey that you need to go through for this we have the dorset dorset insight and intelligence service and that joins together all of the different NHS trusts within Dorset, as well as the local authorities and other um, partnerships that they've got as well. That gives us a really good look at population health um, from a pseudonymized way. Um, it allows us to look at deprivation in disease, um, inequalities in health and so on and so forth. And then locally within Dorset Healthcare, we should take an approach where we always layer our information. So we have our demographic information, which is captured from a variety of places. Uh, we have our workforce information, we have our finance information, we have our risk, our incidents and so on. So every time we start a dashboard um, requirement, we will always have a focus on those other indicators, those population health, those protected characteristics, uh, demographics types information. So if we're looking maybe an urgent community response. Um, are there any inequalities in there? Um, are, are we serving the people of Dorset where we need to? And then the DICE, the Dorset Insight and Intelligence Service, allows us to look at that future-proofing around demand, where are our services needed, and how are we then implementing those services? So there's still a way to go to join all that up and to build those relationships to get other non-clinical data or data from other sources. Um, and understanding the patient journey right the way through the full service. So where Dorset Healthcare may have interacted, where they may have been to NHS 111 or ended up with a 999 phone call, that we can start to under, understand pathways that patients are, are going through and are they are they correct? Are our services end-to-end -end correct and what, we, what can we do to improve them? So we can now start to ask those questions because we've got a better insight into into what is actually happening on the ground and then we can apply those data science techniques to then forecast that demand and understand how our services sit so that's all done again it's always about building relationships isn't it and that solid data sharing agreements understanding why we're sharing that data but then making use of that data that is readily available to us for example baselining we all do submissions those those submission data sets as aggregates are available to all of us so that we can do that comparison um, in you know like-minded systems or systems that are made up similar we can see where our performance lies against them and then maybe try to work out and share practices between the different ICBs yeah and then other data sets that we might be able to leverage things like ordnance survey uh, there's loads of data in ordnance survey that we can 
again, layer with our own clinical data, financial, and so on and so forth, and lots of other data on the web that we can then start to apply. We even looked at um, the effect of the full moon on the number of calls into NHS 111 because there was some hearsay that that might have had an impact. So when we forecast our uh, 15-minute call rate into NHS 111, we look at school holidays, um, bank holidays, uh, what else has gone on on other points in time, and then we've also added in the full moon. We worked out it didn't have any impact at all, but it was, you know... (laughs) A, a fun one to pop in. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I think yeah, you know, is a bit like in my my camp as well. Is you can't take single data sets. You've got to contextualise. Like we we work very close with like medical just ten minutes down the road, and they've got great like, tea and coffee down there. It's so always lagging. But you know the whole PSGA thing. I'm always amazed about the public sector geospatial agreement, which nobody knows about. They get all this fantastic data free online, and it's not just about the visualizations, all the metadata around buildings, geographical features, which we know has a massive impact on. But you know, and that's when you start getting beyond the clinical demand. It's actually I live a long way from the service, therefore I call the one nine nine because I can't get there. And that geospatial stuff is very important. And I think we do miss that bit basic business skills around we do a lot we look at our task time we break it down and we do process optimization which is a basic business skill to deliver better services why why our crews delayed we had a very good example where the the um uh, mobile to on the scene time went up in one day at 25 doesn't sound a lot but when you get 600,000 responses a year it's a lot and we work with all the survey because there's a oh, the crews are driving slow because they're tired well actually on average they were being dispatched from a point five and a half kilometers further away than the incident so actually they're driving faster because actually they're getting there at only a minute and 25 and we managed to get that back to hospital queuing so i think it, it, it's melons how we break away from clinical disease that well, icd typing you know? so actually looking at the organization's efficiency and all saying you know our lucy is the registered ccc which does nine nine one one and probably bring other skills in from outside she you know she's an xd nurse she says, you know, she's like classic, said, but I'm on a call centre. What I do may be very different, and the consequences of effectively ending the call may be very different. It's a call centre. So therefore, we will do early modelling, and we will take standard call centre indicators like handling time, talk time, and integrate that as part. We're not going to make something up, because in the end, we are a call centre. So I think there's a lot of that stuff around actually how we're I mean, not, we do a lot of good stuff. How do you sort of bring that in from outside those standard business practices to drive it? Because in the end, there is an efficiency thing. You know, and about you know digitization and you know one great thing about the ambulances is we're very automatic having worked in the acute we were waiting for people to come back and find stuff in you know the poor wall clock on monday morning trying to figure out what's happened over the ward on the weekend thinking you're going to stay right you know we're quite lucky it's all button pressing gps and being over there all, all the time but i think it is that it does come back to that who's training the managers in healthcare to be managers and i think that's where we need we need to start driving it and i think also we need to start specializing more it, you know, our, our exchange, yeah, will in my area, we said, yeah, I love enthusiasm, but sometimes we actually know people that know what they're doing and didn't kind of read it in a book. And actually, I would say it's a bit like me meeting the paramedic manual and being out on the vehicle. Yeah, it's not going to happen, is it? But we got, so there's that professionalization of business analysts. And I think business analyst role is very important. Yeah, I mean, when I said I'm a proper business analyst, somebody that can go out and sit with the business. And we all, you, we all have the same problem with IG, trying to do requirements, but so we don't actually know what they want. So that person that can sit there and tease it out of them in a way which doesn't sound insulting, have a good relationship with me, vitally as well. And the kind of 
doing you know what you're doing. I'll help you get that question answered. And I think there's a whole lot of stuff around that. Um, I mean, the charity we have here is just so huge. You know, it is. You, you know, it, you know, we've got five ICBs we have to deal with. She keeps everything entertaining. You know, um, so I think that's where I'm coming from. Is I think you know that basic skills and recognizing we like the clinical stuff. It's interesting. I don't think that basic. Yeah, how do you become efficient? How do you do TQM? How do you actually challenge cultural behaviour to come drive things and start centralising where appropriate and decentralising? We, I say, you know, as we said earlier, we we we're very strong on achieving executive analytics is everybody's responsibility. It's not the AI teams. Everybody should be doing analysis to the right level. He's one of his first statements was that. So does that support how you? you know, oh yeah, I'm sure you get the people react saying, so um, how many of these things did we have in? Dorset Hospital yesterday and go, there's a dashboard over there. You can if you go and look that up yourself. Unless you really get I'm getting quite bold she's saying, dashboard over there, go and look it up yourself. Um so it's a complex situation, which is a cultural behaviour thing, not a technology thing, I think. It's, it's a would you, I'm a clinician. I know I'm running four hundred people, but I'm a clinician. I do clinical managing people and resources, so you should be doing that as well. It's challenging. Again, it's not just the NHS, it's happens in industry as well. The number of times where I used to work in uh, in just used to work at the same tissue, same problem. Brilliant. Thank you very much, guys. Then the next question we have is, Julie, it's your second question, which is, how can we attract good quality data engineers and scientists? Again, what has Elon's made you think of that question? I think the NHS offers so many um, good opportunities for data engineers and data scientists to use their skills, um, and certainly, definitely for good in terms of improving that patient care, that patient journey and the patient outcomes. Um, so I think it's a you know, really good profession to to be in for us. And I think it's how do we publicise that to get more people interested in that? So like I said before, we, we've we got lots going on in Dorset. We have a centre of excellence. There's lots of talks, there's training, um, there's really exciting and interesting projects that we're all involved in. Um, and, and we're shaping that journey within the NHS so you can be part of something quite new as well and um, but how do we get that out so that we can we can start to attract those people into the nhs brilliant simon what are your thoughts on that um i think it, i think it's a very interesting question uh, i think there's two aspects to it i think the first is we do do a lot of really interesting stuff you do a lot of innovative stuff we do a lot of it going back to the conversation about clinical resource management you forget the nhs if you want to work in a big organization so it's the largest employer in the world or the first you know a lot of really interesting stuff that we do and we you know help with that direct community care and i think that the second answer is we don't tell people about the industry we don't sit there and say you know coming back to the conversation bill when i tell people what i do they just think i'm a paramedic because i work in so i must be a paramedic or something or i must work in in, in control so i know i do data analytics and they come and look at you and so they have no concept and that those these careers exist i mean very poor at advertising them to universities and engaging in universities and go so look we are you know we're not gonna you know there's lots of benefits but the things you will do you get a, you get a lot of very interesting projects in innovative ways which will guarantee will really build a career from you kind of moving forward um we we're just very very poor advertising we do this really interesting stuff i think it you know we've got to kind of promote it more now we've actually trade bodies we do recruitment days and I, I always volunteer to go and always do a recruitment day and you know everybody is corporate but I said you know people kind of say well what do you do and I tell them they go yeah, I didn't, they didn't know I mean a very interesting one to do an audience survey I was you did an exercise up in Newcastle 
a multi-agency exercise, and um, we did that through water analysis. ML, you gave all the survey, they gave us, here's a place you can go and do a multi-agency exercise, follow it, please. And all these public, it looked like a massive major incident. They kind of came around panicked with like 25 ambulances, 30 fire engines, and the police flying their drones up and down the river. So I said, well, no, that had an exercise. Imagine, why are you here? Like, explained about, we took our data, we put some machine learning, and all that, so this is the ideal place, it's all types of water. And they were absolutely flabbergasted. And we had no idea that the public sector and then they just did that sort of thing. I think a lot of it is like, how do we advertise these interesting projects? How do we get that, that thing out? They're actually a lot of it, you know, you're actually doing good most of the time. We, I mean, you know, when you do that front line surgery, you make things better. I worked in the kids, I've, made this, I've actually made that weight this shorter. I'm actually increased capacity in outpatients by looking at no show DNA rates. But I think we, I think the key is we need to advertise more about. Do you know You will do really interesting, innovative work. Yeah, it's not just about how do I increase the profitability and make a real difference. And that's one of the key answers as well. Is it, you know, I think we need to engage with universities more. I think kind of getting graduates and college and colleges maybe even more universities. I think colleges will kind of get the further education and you get that real hunger, I think, sometimes. Because I see that as a real sort of progressive upstep role in university. So we try and work a lot with our local universities, with projects, to build the relationship and build the rapport with them. So I think it's a difficult task, you know, we're in a very competitive industry, maybe innovation about how we use people and things like that. Yeah, we, we all know, it's, you know, I'm at a conference today and it's, oh, we've got 15 data scientists, we've got 25 data architects, and we've got 35 data engineers, and we've got 45 business analysts. So I just get them cry in the corner yeah i think it's really interesting about um you know integrating with universities and colleges uh, and maybe finding a way to offer more apprenticeships um more work experience those sorts of things um in the industry um and and being involved with with the local people coming out of local universities and colleges it's a really good idea well brilliant thank you very much and then the final question we have is again from you, Simon, which is your second question, which is around how do we develop better public-private relationships to support innovation? Just like before, Simon, where does that question come from? Um, quite interesting from so I've, I've kind of I've been on both sides of the camp, you know, in the private sector, from working for multinationals, work for myself, working for healthcare for about twenty years. Uh, there's always been this ideological war from both sides, you know, public good, private bad, private good, public terrorism, and actually the reality is it's somewhere in the middle that we need to work together. And I think how do we break down that barrier? How do we start you know, utilising the capacity and knowledge that's in the, the private And I see that very much as in our era, they have technical skills. They know the product inside out. So how do we kind of utilise that and build a relationship? And essentially, I was speaking at an AI summit last week about ethics, and the same sort of question came up. And I'd say one of the frustrating things when companies will come in and say, yeah, we do your project, give us £200,000, we'll load all the IP, and we'll go and flog it again. And I said, that sort of relationship doesn't work. And after the audience stood up and clapped, including some of the companies, you know, how do we get to a more, we do a lot of work. We're not a big organisation. You know, we've got huge, they're never going to make a huge amount of money out of us. But they come, you do interesting stuff, so we can build something around what you're doing. It comes back to that it's not our, it's our HR staff, electrician staff, and then what we're doing with GE around digital asset models for the vehicles. They'll say, actually, we'll get some skin in the game here, because actually we can make a commercial, have a commercial relationship with you. And it's just, how do we... I think part of it is you've got to pick your partners properly, who the ones want to work with you, and actually just don't see you as a cash cow on an HM that can go put money and get money out. 
So the ones that really engage with you and listen to you, it's always indicative. I think we have a new supplier that spends the first hour of the meeting listening to you. So they say, oh, well, it listens to you, listens to what you're saying. You do the spin about, you're there, so you got all the audits here, you blah, blah, blah. They listen to you, they go, what are your problems? I'm the ones that have got a 40-page PowerPoint slide that goes through that. So it's really, but how do we build those relationships? Because there is a body in it. You know, we found we have really complex problems and we have partners who know the technology inside out. So they'll go, right, here's how we solve your problem. Right. And how do we start building those relations, identify those people? I think part of it is there's a very small cadre of people or that work in healthcare. And sometimes throw that away and like outside healthcare is the way to do it. So I just think, how do we, we know that the national policies to work very closely with the industry now and develop it. I don't know if that doesn't go too far one way or the other. Um, so, you know, it's just an interesting observation. There's opportunity there. And it's really beneficial. You know, we do presentations for some of our commercial suppliers, and they'll openly say, you talk about interesting stuff, we will get four to five times as many sales leads, which are good, high-opportunity sales leads from your presentation than anybody else. Because they said, that's what we do. We're not being nice to the NHS. We make money out of our relationship indirectly. So how do we start building those sort of relationships and explaining stuff? You know, people... We talk about how an ambulance works. They assume they phone us, we turn up and take them to hospital. And um, we only take 55% of people to hospital. So it's an interesting construct. But I think a lot of what we talk about, people find, blimey, that's interesting. Because how do we start building those relationships to harness? Because actually, it's the taxpayer gets benefit for having these skills. But we're also helping the economy by doing this innovative stuff, which actually then drives the business. But how do we make sure it's a balanced relationship? It's a sort of key question, I guess. Yeah, I think it's a tricky one. Um, we've partnered, I suppose, um, with uh, companies who already have a software re- relationship, but we've needed a change to that. Um, or, or they've been looking at maybe something like, how do we automate transfer of data? So we're always quite happy to to jump on the, we'll be part of your prototype um, arrangement. And then that way that allows us to shape how we need it to be as well and, and just to put our ideas in and be involved rather than having it done to us. So that's, I suppose, where, where we've added that in. And then as an aside, I think also, uh, depending on the trust that you're working for, how big or small you are um, and who else is around you. But again, can you join up with like-minded trust so you can offer a little bit more, I suppose, to that private company? So maybe as a system or an ICB, we can go in with a particular requirement and work with a partner um, to to see that requirement through. Uh, may also help to build those relationships. But again, it is all about that relationship building, isn't it? Making sure that you've got good stakeholder management um, with with your suppliers, um, so that you can start to look at those requirements and build those relationships and find those opportunities. I think it's also, it's interesting, because our relationship is developed with suppliers, you, the nature of your team needs to change. They need to stop being doers and start being SMEs and vendor managers. So they're managing the supply to deliver rather than delivering themselves. You know, we, we you know, we never going to have development, so we, we, have a, we have a procured house service for it. We use Click and SQL. So each one out said, we're never going to be able to hire SQL people. We're never going to be able to hire. We have one or two. We never, so we went out and hired it, and actually said the team's roles changed very much too. Okay, I know what I want to do. I know the technology, but I've got to manage to manage to deliver our projects. So that's about making sure we've got time. So it is quite interesting. One of the challenges is as you get there, if you're, not, if you're going to be on the project thing, that you've got an ongoing relationship. Um, and it's one of the things I had to explain to our our board. They they kind of will do a business case on a, a project by project, but you can't do that in the because the projects are too small. 
it might be a two day, it might be a, you know, a four day, or it might be a three weeks. It's not a six month project when you go out and get a contract. You have to have that all the way. Oh, I'm going to do my business planning. I always have a mind there, left field stuff. They percent and they go, what's that thing? Well, I don't know what it is, but I always know it's like, so the stuff we end up doing, we didn't know we were going to do. So I'll put a line in there. They kind of go, well, I'm doing it. Yeah, she's right, aren't you? You're always going to give me stuff that comes in. So it's about 70% of what we do. It's left field stuff. We don't know what we're going to do. We don't know we're going to do it, but we do it. But again, it's that whole relationship thing around how you build it. And I think you know, there are good, I mean, during COVID, it was very interesting. We got other people that said, we'll do this free. No, it's people, but also say, well, we'll charge you a normal rate. We won't charge you anything else. So I think one of the things we need to do, particularly is we need to get out of the pocket of good and bad. Actually, what's the company like? And again, if you back, there's small middle ranking companies, some of the good ones. The other ones are a bit hungrier and stuff like that and, you know, things like that. You know, I think we talked earlier about um, systems. We all know the best thing to work for in the NHS is a small regional DGH or something. Not one of the small ones, one of the big or big ones. The ones in the middle are hungry. They've got that math quite you know, relatively big and relatively good. So I think it's yeah, choosing your partners online with your values organizational values as well is important having an honest relationship with you don't need to, don't, don't screw them down to the ground there because even that's, that's not the way to go because you know you save yourself 20 pound a day and lose 30,000 it, 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 it's you know they, they're they not there you know what they're doing they're, they're there to make a margin if they're making a mutual margin that's good you know if they're making an excessive margin that's where you want to have a conversation so yeah, come on pull it in a bit it, it, I think it's an interesting thing that's evolving I guess it's not just the NHS it's the public sector the private sector mix isn't it and I think a lot of what the public don't understand is a lot of public sector services are delivered by the private sector. You know, so we don't make beds, we don't make theatre equipment, we don't do cleaning, we don't make ambulances. You know, so we can filter it like that. You know, and it, it, it's, it's quite an interesting dilemma. I think we need to think about how we harmonise that a bit better. I don't know, there's opportunities, but I think it's just how we balance it out. I haven't really got an answer. That's what I was hoping I'd get today to be honest. Yeah, from my experiences, what indirect or direct value they're going to get out of the relationship. And, you know, it's a long term, it's something you know, an organisation that sort of unbinds with you in terms of what you're trying to do and deliver. This is my philosophy. Brilliant. Julie, have you got anything to add to that? No, I don't think so. Amazing. Well, thank you both for that. There's some really interesting points raised. Do either of you have any final thoughts? You go first, Julie. That's enough from me. The only observation I'd, I'd, I'd make around that, that you get to keep data in the healthcare service is, you know, it, it comes back to it, it, we're, in many ways, we are organisations that are a large scale organisations doing stuff. And actually, you know, we do need to look into industry and other organisations and we start sharing that. The centre of excellence idea is, you know, give that centre of excellence, do you take which provider is best in our patch at this, that'll be the centre of excellence and we'll fund them. I think it's also a breakout of our, and it's not NHS, it's healthcare, in my opinion, because you talk to healthcare systems around the world, the, the NHS is still pretty good. Having lived in the States, and spoke to people on the continent, we're still pretty good at what we do in terms of how much we did. Um, we need to break out of healthcare is unique because it's not. If you really want to harness this, I mean, we do interesting things, but there's a load of stuff out there which everybody else does. That's the same concept. You just, I lost 10%, and I think we need, need to break down it. And it's not just a Every industry does it. We all know that banking, you can tell banking, we're different. Healthcare, in the end, it's 80% common as a manager. You're doing the same thing that last 10%. I think we need to learn and open up to be more open to what other people do. I think when we do that, we'll find that actually people are interested in what we do and we can teach them a lot. Actually, that's really interesting how you do that. We haven't thought of it. So I think we need to build, build that two-way relationship. And I think professionalization is very important. You're professionalizing the analytics community 
you know, making them recognise your skill, stuff like that is very good. Again, that's not health tech, that's general. Yeah, yeah. People understand analytics and programming. Brilliant. So before we end the podcast, I'd like to say a massive thank you again to both of our guests for sharing their thoughts today. Once again, our guests on today's podcast have been Julia Farmer, Business Information Development and Data Architecture Lead at Dorset Healthcare, and Simon Mortimer, Assistant Director for Business Information at South Central Ambulance Service. If you are hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message for that too. I'm Matt and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me on matthew.plant at evolution-contract.co.uk or visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash UK forward slash NHS. Thanks again to both of our guests and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us again next time.